We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Sunday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes Podcast. Happy Father's Day to all of you out there, and maybe to some of our list, younger listeners. Maybe happy not Father's Day. That can be important as well. Appreciate you tuning in. Ole Miss is 1-0 in the College World Series, and is one win away from being in really the driver's seat to play for a national title. Um, but first, they play a uh, pretty formidable, ar- formidable Arkansas opponent on Monday night. I talked with Chase Parham, pinch hitting for Colin Brister a bit. Colin and I's timing didn't work out, and I wanted to get this uh, up as soon as possible. So we're going to have a reaction pod after the Monday game with Colin. Chase um, pinch hit there uh, while in his Omaha hotel room. I assume that's where he was. I guess he could have been anywhere. Looked like a hotel room set up. Who knows? Anyway, we got into a lot of different stuff. Dylan Delucia's legacy, what he did last night, the Rebels' toughness at the plate, two out hitting, who uh, who Arkansas might throw, and uh, the Rebels' chances of uh, winning on Monday night and what the rest of the outlook is uh, and beyond as this team um, inches closer to, you know, really getting close to it being real in terms of playing for a trophy. So anyway, got to a lot of different stuff. I will think you will enjoy the show. Before we get to that, though, we have an announcement on the Rippy Rides podcast. Big things happening here. We have a new sponsor joining the Rippy Rides podcast family. It is MIMS Insurance. Matt MIMS is an insurance, independent insurance agent in Oxford. Ole Miss guy, longtime friend of mine. He wants to help out our listeners find the best insurance rate. Look, everything is expensive right now. Gas prices are rising. Groceries are are expensive. Everything's expensive right now for a myriad of different reasons. When it comes to insurance, you need to save money. Why spend extra or you kind of wading into a field? Maybe you don't know what you're doing. You don't know where to look. Matt Mims is here to help you find the best insurance rate possible. Just give him a call at 601-218-7854. He will shop your insurance rate or quote through two, 10 different major insurance companies and find you the best deal. He just wants to help you find, save as much money as possible. You really can't lose calling Matt Mims and Mims insurance. I wouldn't refer you to people that I don't trust. Mims is a great guy. He's an old Miss God. He is a buddy of mine and he will absolutely help keep money in your pocket. So do you have a boat, home and auto? Sick. 
sick brag, you have a boat, Bedman's home and auto, whatever it is, whatever you need insured, he is going to find it for you and he is going to help you find the best rate possible. And he's based there in Oxford, but he'll hit you Meridian, Vicksburg, Brandon, Ocean Springs, everywhere in between, all over Mississippi. So finding a good insurance rate can be pretty overwhelming. All you got to do is call Matt Mims at 601-218-7854. That is his personal cell phone number. Not going to go to a voicemail, not going to get anything. He's going to answer and he's going to help you out. Tell him I sent you. He'll get you hooked up. He wants to keep money in your pocket and let him handle the hard part for you. All you have to do is call him and save. Happy to have Mims and Mims Insurance and Matt Mims on board the Rippy Rights Podcast family. Again, check him out there. That number is 601-218-7854. Need anything insured, he'll get you hooked up. I'm really pumped to have Mims on board. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. So the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Need to check these guys out. Skybox has their College World Series package on the site right now. Maybe you're listening as the uh, early games have gotten unfolded on Friday. Don't miss out. Hit their College World Series package. They're crushing it in NASCAR right now. Football season is just around the corner. Got some baseball plays for you as well. Go online. If you're into gambling, you need to use Skybox Sports Picks. You don't want the bookie texting you on Sunday night, Monday morning, asking you to square up, adding to your scaries. You want to be texting the bookie, asking where your supplementary income is coming from. Guess who's going to help you do that more often than your own brain and anyone else in the industry? That's right, Skybox Sports Picks. When you do business with Skybox, it's an investment. You're going to make your money back and then some. They're going to have a picks package to fit your preferred sport and your preferred price range. You can try it for a month, try it for a week, try it for a day. I'd recommend just getting on the uh, Skybox all year, all access pass. It's going to pay for itself and then some because, again, Skybox is an investment. But check them out. Go find the picks package to hit, uh, that fits your price range. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. Maybe get some merch too. But uh, that promo code will get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. And lastly, the podcast is brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. You know, you know the drill. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Ride subscriber, it's rippyrights.substack.com. Type in your email. Get a free newsletter from me a couple of times a week, writing the uh, Omaha preview right now. And discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Just go in there, show Greg proof of subscription, and he'll get you set up, and then go find your own favorites. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. Weather's warming up. It's prime grilling season. You need to go trust Greg and LB's to get you something great to throw on the grill. I like the tri-tip, filet burgers, all kinds of delicious cuts there, fresh sausages, seafood, delicious sides. I love the crab stuff, mushrooms, all kinds of great stuff there. If he doesn't have it, he will get it for you because Greg and LBs want to make your grilling experience great. Go check him out. LBs University Avenue there in Oxford. All right. Here is Chase Parham on Ole Miss's win, what it means and what the outlook is going forward. All right. You probably know his work from the uh, Emmy award-winning video series, Three Outs. It is Chase Parham. Happy Father's Day to you. Happy not Father's Day to me. You can argue which one's more important. You are in <laughs> Omaha. Ole Miss wins 5-1 to one last night over Auburn. Let's start with three outs, though. What's the joke with that? I remember you doing three outs. Why is that a message board joke now? Did you just stop one day? What's the deal? Yeah, I've got one guy that really, really wants it very badly. What I would do, I was trying to supplement content a little bit, and I had this, like, Photoshop template, and I would go shoot a video, and i talk about the three things that were on my mind after every game. And then uh, I would put it in a little Photoshop template, and I put it in YouTube. 
But what happened was a couple of different things. A is there's not a great place in Swayze to film it because I remember I would, you going uh, to the Diamond Club. Yeah, well, I'd go to the TV booth. I'd like go in like Delucci and them's booth all the way in the middle. But they are anywhere else. You've got the people blowing all the trash and the stuff out of the stands. It's loud. And then the Photoshop template I was using, it would take forever to export. So I'd be sitting in the stadium an extra 35 minutes at 1130 waiting on this thing to export. And just, I, I think now I actually could streamline it. I could use Zoom. I could do some different things and, and make it better. But I've been a little lazy. But I've got one guy that reminds me every single time that I no longer do three outs and it is not part of my content. And I'm like, you know, bud, I, I talk seven hours a week on, on podcasts where you can see my face. We're going to stream it. We'll, we'll get all the thoughts down. It's all good. But, yeah, he, uh, he, he has not let it go. At this point, it's become a pretty big running joke. And, look, if they win the national title, we'll do it three outs. We'll do it the retro way. We'll pull out the Photoshop deal. We'll do the whole deal. There we have it. This podcast is off to a raging start. So that's, that's what everyone's going to look forward to. If Ole Miss didn't have motivation to win a national title, I certainly think they do now. They win 5-1 to one last night. Uh, you were obviously there. It was a game in which I was watching it on television. It was kind of in a crowded place. Volume was in and out. But, like, I was paying attention for most of the game and kind of felt like I was somewhat locked in. To me, that felt like a game that should have, almost, like, should have been 9-1. The, the score was not indicative of the way Ole Miss dominated them. Dylan Delusia was terrific. I guess we're just pretty open-ended start. What did you think of what happened last night? I thought they kicked their ass. They did, and they're keeping up the start that is fairly remarkable. When I say the start, I mean the NCAA tournament that's no longer new. I mean, they're in Omaha. They played a game. Just looking at the stats, it is it is mind-boggling. Ole Miss, the only team in the country that is undefeated in the NCAA tournament. They are 6-0 and at this point. And nothing's really – I mean, it's been close. They've had a 7-4 win. They've had a 2-1 win. But they controlled every game for the most part. They've looked so good throughout. They're getting pitching – that the numbers are insane at this point. They're outscoring opponents 51 to 12 in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, look, going into yesterday, I thought Ole Miss would win the game. When you look at these eight teams, I, I wrote about this, and, and Butch Thompson, I think, knew this because he has mentioned motivation. He mentioned, hey, win games when you get here. Don't just focus on getting there. But out of these eight teams, when you talk about, hey, who's just happy to be here, it looked like Auburn was the one candidate to go, yeah, they're probably not winning the national title. You know, they've had a good run. Frankly, they've done a hell of a job to get where they are because Oregon State's a really tough out in Corvallis, and they went in there and they won two out of three. So the results were very, very respectable. It's not taking anything away from that program, but just from a talent, from a pitching depth, what they have to offer, those two teams were not the same. Ole Miss is by far more talented than Auburn. I thought they controlled it from, from the jump. You know, Delusia – to be a first-year Division One guy, his composure, his ability to go at guys, his ability to not freak out at any moment, much like I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point, Hunter Elliott, who will get the ball on Monday against Arkansas, he controlled that thing. You know, the offense did some things. We'll talk about that. But that was all about Dylan Delusia. That was 100% about Dylan Delusia last night. He takes a perfect game into the fifth. I, I don't know if that really counts. Can you call it a perfect game bid in the fifth inning? It's probably too early, but nonetheless – they don't get anybody on until a couple outs in the fifth. He gets out of that somewhat of a jam in the seventh after three straight hits, um, bring up, uh, bring a run in. They, that snaps a 26-inning streak without the opponent scoring a run in the NCAA tournament for Ole Miss. And when you look at Ole Miss overall, you've got Delusia doing that, a bullpen that, unless I'm forgetting something, still has not allowed a run in the postseason. And it's like every ingredient that had to come together for this team to do that is currently doing that. And now they're also playing with house money. You know, it's what 
it, it's what's funny about it because I, I I may write this tomorrow, and if not, if they win one more game, it's definitely something I'll, I'll put in written form. Is it's been a weird push as far as the media. They did it today. We were we went to practice at Creighton today. Horrific facility, by the way. Um, they I they practice playing though. Well, except it's their old field. And okay, it's sidebar me real quick. So what happened was they they play their games at at, at Charles Schwab Field unless it's snowing. If it's snowing, they go to this field that's on campus that is a complete dump because it's turf. So they scoop the snow off the turf field and play on that field if it is snowing. I mean, it is like dilapidated. Okay, a couple of things there. That If it's snowing, wouldn't you just call it a day, maybe not practice? I mean, that, that doesn't seem designed to, to play in the snow. Um, if it's such a dump, which makes it sound – isn't it a little surprising? Well, I guess it's not surprising it has turf, but it does cost money to install the turf. I guess it's not the, – the, the turf looks like it is the original turf from the Astrodome in 1962. Let's not get carried away here. So there's no ground balls. It's just bouncers, basically? It, it, it looks like concrete. I'll send you some photos. It is, it is not good. It's really bad. What is so that's where – he was just happy for a place to practice. Okay. He was he was he was fine. He was in a good mood today. He's the one that told me that they play there when it is uh, cuz you know Chris Cleary, the Ole Miss assistant, he used to coach at Creighton. I didn't know that. Yeah, so he has uh, he has some knowledge there of the uh, of the Creighton program. So anyway, my point being is that he keeps getting asked these questions about, "Hey, do you guys have a chip on your shoulder? You were the last team in. Is this Cinderella?" It's Cinderella that has the number one pick in the draft potentially for next year. A guy with, you know, a team with arms. I mean, what's more relevant about this is that Ole Miss was a top five preseason team and a team that, while it was just pole mechanics and they were, they're better, much better now, ironically, than they were then, they were the number one team in the country. This is a really talented baseball team. Nobody's got a glass slipper in this. That's what something that I still don't think, you know, the national media is not doing it, but I do feel like media from other schools or media that's just kind of flying in from 10,000 feet keep going, oh, look, three seed, it's kind of plucky. That's a really damn good baseball team that at the moment might be the hottest team in the country. Yeah, you're you're definitely right in all of that. And it's – it's. I mean, what you wrote something regarding – whatever you wrote after the regional, I think you called it a redemption tour. That's certainly more of what this feels like. Like, this is more like vindication than it is them – like, things finally coming together and them just having this magical run. Now, what makes it weird is how dominant they've been doing it, right? I mean, they, nothing's been close. Nothing's been stressful. I imagine the Ole Miss fan, to some degree, is is having trouble, like, fully processing how to feel because there hasn't been any stress. Other than the 2-1 to one game against Miami, I get that they were trailing entering the sixth inning against Arizona, but they took control of that game 7-4. to four, And then outside of the 2-1 game – against Miami that they kind of stole late they've nothing's been taxing at all I mean it's honestly looked pretty easy and we'll we'll go back to Delucia here probably for a second because I want to ask you a couple of things about Mike but just you mentioned first year player to have that sort of composure I mean that he's the reason that game took less than three hours last night I mean it was it was met with no resistance someone asked me yesterday why is Dylan Delucia so good and outside of, you know, he's kind of got that fastball where he says he screws with the grip and he doesn't necessarily know which way it's going to break each time. Fastball with some weird movement to it and a decent breaking ball. But, like, outside of that, he throws strikes. He doesn't walk a ton of guys. And he just kind of has a little bit of, like, an edge to him. Elliot shares it as well. It's like Delusia had it and then Elliot kind of emerged and grew into this similar role. But 
outside of that, I didn't have a good answer other than the fact that he kind of has the FU attitude that Ole Miss has lacked in pitchers sometimes. Certainly people have argued that they lack it from a team perspective. But both of them carry themselves like they walk around annoyed that anyone thought there was any other outcome than them kind of shoving it. And, you know, Ole Miss has had a few of them over the year. But do you have a better answer than that, I guess, is the way to ask the question. I don't really know how to describe why he's so dominant. So mentality is a big part of it. In college baseball, because here's what mentality does. It, it, it's, it's, it's two different things. A, it helps you compete on the mound. You're focused on what you're doing. You've got an edge about you. If you have that level of confidence and you back it up early, it gets in the minds of the hitters a little bit. It demoralizes the opponent. They start pressing and doing different things. But Peyton Chagny admitted this today, and I think it's something that we've talked about a good bit, but it, it's a critical part that's not mentioned enough. Ole Miss believes they are going to win when Dylan DeLucia is on the mound. The offense believes it is going to win when Dylan DeLucia is on the mound. And when that happens, they're not pressing. You know, when Ole Miss got into that bind and they lost those four straight weekend series, the pitching was not very good. And Ole Miss's offense thought they had to score eight runs a day and they had to hit, 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 hit. They couldn't waste any opportunities. Well, when that situation comes, you're pressing. You get tense. You start freaking out a little bit. You do all these different things to – compensate, but what you're actually doing is harming your ability to be effective and to produce in the way that you need to do it. But with Delucia and Elliott, that's not the case. They know they're going to get a lot of zeros. They're going to stay in tune defensively because Delucia is throwing a ton of strikes. He's doing things where they don't have to kind of wonder, hey, is he going to walk people, put us in weird situations? No, they just got to play baseball. So mentality is a huge part of it. But from an actual technical standpoint, for somebody who has not been in a Division One program to really work on it on multiple years, his tunneling is so good. And what I mean by that is that the fastball and the slider come out of his hand at the same at the same speed, at the same angle, and how hitters cannot pick up if they're getting the slider or the fastball out of his hand. So when you've got that going on and he's got that sharp slider, especially when it doesn't flatten out, it's really, really confusing. If you, So you're guessing he can throw the slider for strikes. The changeup's good enough, even though last night, frankly, I don't think he threw it but once or twice the entire game. It was almost all fastball slider. But he's great at tunneling. He's not walking anybody. He's efficient. He was 70% strikes last night is, is where I think it ended up. And he just sort of overwhelms you because it's just strike, strike, go, 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 go. And then it played even more in that park last night. Because, look, you can, you're, it's susceptible. You can hit the ball out down the lines. In the middle of the field is still a graveyard. So you can use the park. You can work to that park. You can throw, park, you can throw a bunch of fly balls. Ole Miss got a pretty good draw. Because at this point, you know, you played three games against Southern Miss and Auburn. No offense to one of those. You haven't played necessarily anybody, whatever. But they'll, they've just they, – they've dominated. They have dictated everything. They are so confident right now. You saw that today. You saw that last night. And then we're setting up for – look, I don't know who's going to win. I don't know what the score is going to be. But just from the standpoint of two teams coming in that, frankly, don't like each other, have played a ton of games against each other, got a bit of a bit of a zoo, bit of a barn burner coming against the Hogs on Monday night. Yep, but no one else you'd rather have on the mound if you're Ole Miss, and that's kind of what makes what them being in this position and how they got there so remarkable. But last night, just to go through it, Dylan Delucia, seven and two-thirds, ten strikeouts, no walks, allowed a run on four hits, threw 114 pitches. It, to me, occurred to me when, when he was through the fifth on 60 pitches, Auburn was in big trouble. I, I don't remember what the score was at that point. I can't remember if it was 3 nothing or 5 nothing. I think it was 3 nothing. But when he got through the fifth and he was at 60 pitches, he could have probably finished that game and he wanted to. Maybe not. I guess he ended up getting to 114 and his pitch count ballooned a little bit. But they were they were in deep trouble. And you're right. Like, they Ole Miss has gotten a pretty favorable draw in that they haven't necessarily played 
any juggernaut of an offense. But honestly, when you look at the better offenses in this tournament, they're all kind of on the other side of the bracket. Um, it's Texas and Texas A&M, and how they're in a loser's bracket game today. I don't really know what to make of Notre Dame. They've had some injuries, and then they just keep somehow winning games, and they're scoring a decent amount of runs. But I wouldn't necessarily call them as potent of an offense um, as maybe an A&M or so. Probably the best one Ole Miss, on Ole Miss's side of the bracket is who they'll face tomorrow. Um, it certainly didn't look like it when Ole Miss played them at the end of April, but Arkansas swung it really well over the last couple weeks. And so I think this will probably – do you think this will be their greatest test from this pitching standpoint since they've gotten in the postseason? Like Arizona had a pretty good offense. I didn't think Miami was any good outside of that one kid. I forget his name now. Um, but I don't know. To me, it would be between Arizona and Arkansas, don't you think? And it's probably Arkansas. I think Arkansas over the last month has found its offense. It's done a lot of things to get better, really even since they that Ole Miss has played them. You know, Arkansas – they have found so many different ways to win baseball games. They're steady at everything. They're a little bit of a poor man's version of last year where they're not bad at anything. They're good enough. And when you're good enough at everything, that makes you a really, really good team overall. Now, look, they may go win the national title, but I don't think anybody would think overall they're as good as they were last year. Kevin Copps isn't walking through that door. They've got, you know, Peyton Paulette's been out the entire year with an arm injury. But from an awesome standpoint, yeah, it's the – it's, it's the biggest test. It's the biggest test in a couple of different ways. A, it's just the actual offense that they're playing. B, they're going to play the best infield defense in the, in, in the tournament in Arkansas. They're really, really good up the middle. They do so many things. They're not going to give you extra outs. And then also, it's really the first time, when you look through this, you know, Arizona was a team with a first-year head coach. They were nowhere near the same team that Ole Miss played last year. Miami – quality team, but Ole Miss got on them. Pump was still a good game. They just kind of won the game. And then Southern Miss, they kind of had all the pressure on them. You know, Southern Miss was a, was a team that Ole Miss was just better than. They were kind of freaked out a little bit, and then Delucia and Elliott shoved, and they won the series. It's the first time they're playing a team who can kind of match their momentum, if that makes sense. That's what's interesting about Monday for me is that Arkansas has a claim, too, to be one of the hottest teams in the country. You know, they played that crazy series at, at, at Oklahoma State. You know what I mean? They, they've done all these different things. They go whip North Carolina. They, they, they have been just as good in their own way, even though they got down to a necessary game and they got scared a little bit in their regional. It, it, it's an interesting battle of two teams that both come in kind of together. I mean, they both have equal confidence. They both have equal footing as far as programs and different things. Arkansas has got a little more experience in Omaha, but that doesn't matter. I don't think that has any relevance on anything. These two teams that know each other so well, teams that while Ole Miss was 7-14 and 14 when they left Fayetteville at the end of April or 1st of May or whatever day that, that last game was on, they played pretty well. That Ole Miss won one game, Arkansas won one game, and then Arkansas won the deciding game with a walk-off. It was incredibly close. Ole Miss left runners all over the bases. So you're talking about two programs that there are no secrets. You, you might be anchored. I don't have to go into a ton of scouting for Arkansas here for Monday night. And when you come in with kind of equal momentum, I find that fascinating. And that's where, as you said, and we lead into this thing, look, Arkansas could clearly win the game. But if I had to take one or the other, I want Hunter Elliott. Arkansas, at this moment that we're recording, it's 2.55 in the afternoon. They still have not even announced a starter yet. They're trying to decide between McIntyre and uh, maybe is it Morris, the right-hander and the left-hander. They haven't made a decision yet on which one they're, uh, they're going to as of this moment. So, yes, it's a test, but in some ways the test is almost more on Arkansas because they're sort of the favorite. They're coming in. They've got to find a way to get to Elliott when they didn't do a great job of that in Fayetteville earlier this season. 
And then they've got to find a way to, to, to put pitching together. I think in some ways Van Horn expects this to be a bullpen game for his Razorbacks. I was going to ask you right into that. Was was I just assumed that they would probably start Hagen Smith, but then he was warming up yesterday. I think he started stretching toward the end of that game before it got super silly. And so, honestly, I didn't really have a clue who they were going to start. I was trying to go through it. I assumed it wouldn't be Jackson Wiggins. And so you just kind of answered it. I guess it will be kind of a bullpen day. For in that sense, but like it's it's weird that old that, that a team one win away from being in the driver's seat of winning the national title, their starting pitching is still kind of in flux. And the opposite is definitely true for for Ole Miss because they know exactly who they're going to, and probably the best version of themselves has now, particularly in the last month, come out with Hunter Elliott on the mound. And so it's going to be a fascinating test. And these two teams have followed similar trajectories this year. I remember picking emphatically against Arkansas in the Stillwater Regional because while they didn't necessarily have the lows that Ole Miss had and probably got a little bit higher because they were, you know, wire to wire, you know, pretty in control of the West till the last couple weekends. Something was wrong with them over the last month of the season. They looked bad in Hoover. I didn't pick them to get out of the regional, and then they just caught fire, and here they are again. So it's two similar trajectories, but I think I'm with you. If I'm taking one, I'm taking Hunter Elliott in Ole Miss. But with that being said, I do think this will be a different level of offensive test for Hunter Elliott, but he handled it pretty well. Do you make any – so I, do, I went in yesterday's game thinking you couldn't take a whole hell of a lot from the SEC opening series at all. I mean, Auburn was throwing a kid that Ole Miss didn't even see in that because I think he was out with a blister for the first couple weeks. Do you take anything away from this uh, – I guess that was into April. Maybe one of those games went into May 1st. I think the Sunday game was May 1st. Do you take anything away from that series that you could use in this one? Because I tend to, to not either because – they look like two different teams. And from an Arkansas pitching standpoint, they kind of will be a different team. Yeah, and, and quickly, before you say that, I've got the quote here. I went and found it. Uh, Dave Van Horn, again, this is at 2.57 on Sunday. So if he names a starter, you at least are aware of his indecision prior to that. Uh, Van Horn on Sunday morning says, quote, we're not 100% sure, honestly. We talked about it again this morning on the bus on the way over here. You know, we got to figure it out how we want to start it. We feel like we've got two good options. One's right, one's left. We're still thinking about it. I think by the end of the day, we'll know 100%. I have to talk to the coach. I mean, he's a pitching coach. Two, he just finished a bullpen with some guys. It's probably going to come down to the bullpen anyway. We just like to get off to a good start against a really good hitting team. And then he was asked, is that McIntyre and Morris, the right and the left-hander? And he goes, yeah, those are the two we're looking at. Either way, I think they'll both pitch. We'll just have the one starting. So I think he is planning on using both of them. You mentioned Smith. They're going to use him in the end of the bullpen. I think they want him to close at that point if they uh, if they get to that. So, you know, Arkansas has got some indecision. They can't quite figure it out. And you're right. I mean, that's that's what's funny about this and why you like Ole Miss's side of the bracket is just how vulnerable potentially the opponents were because there isn't this set team that just has this number one and this number two and this number three. You know, I was talking to Nick Suss walking down the steps yesterday, leaving the thing, and he said, you know, you could have gone to the College World Series going that Ole Miss maybe had the – one of the weakest number ones, at least profile in Delusia, and maybe the best number two. You look at this College World Series bracket, there's no stud number twos in this thing. Nobody has that big-time number two arm that is going to propel you through. You can at least make the argument that Hunter Elliott is it. Now, look, Delu and Delusia is nowhere near the worst ace in this field right now, the way he's pitching. But I understood what was being said there with him. And, yeah, you, you mentioned what I take from it is actually a positive from Ole Miss, even though they didn't win it is that they had so many opportunities. Ole Miss was something like, and I don't have it in front of me, they were maybe five for 37 runners on base over the course of those three games. I mean, they had runners everywhere. They lose two out of three. And that's the series where I know he's talked about having confidence all year. 
it's the series where Hunter Elliott grew up. You look at Elliott that day, and he's at Baumwalker. He gives up a home run in, like, the fifth inning to lose the lead, and they're doing the woo pig and, you know, basically what looks like a damn seance up there with, with 12,000 people all, all doing it at the same time with their spirit fingers. And I think that that's where he kind of matured. He kind of threw his shoulders back. Hayden Dunhurst talked about it today that he saw a body language change with Elliott that weekend where he kind of was no longer a freshman there at the end of April when he had some experience. And he, he toughened up through it. I think he ends up with a quality start. I think he gave up three runs and six innings. Maybe maybe you have it in front of me. I don't. But I take those two things away. But then I also take away that Ole Miss was playing pretty good baseball. Yes, they were 7-14, and 14, but they had already kind of turned the corner. They just didn't win the games. They had the pitching set. They had everything sort of set up how they needed it. They just didn't win. So, look, Arkansas still found a way to grind because – you know, look, Ole Miss has, as you said, they have bashed their way to these wins, these 6-0 and records. They had to do it against Miami a little bit. They had to do it against Arizona a little bit. For the most part, though, they haven't had to play these close games where every pitch matters. and It's just – it's a meat grinder for nine innings. That's kind of where Arkansas lives outside of yesterday's 17-2 win. Arkansas beats you by just kind of being more solid than you are. They're not going to overwhelm you in anything, but Arkansas is going to be a little better in everything, and they think after nine innings that's going to add up. So that's the challenge for Ole Miss. That's what they didn't do well in Fayetteville at the end of April is the little things, the one pitch, the one hit, the one defensive play, the thing where Arkansas just pressures you and pressures you and pressures you and tries to see if you break. And Ole Miss will have to accomplish that on, on, on Monday night because they've been front-running, and I don't think they're going to be able to front-run against the Razorbacks. And the, the game, too, in Fayetteville was the, the infamous game where they, I believe, in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, they had seven men on base combined with zero outs and pushed across one run. So they had first and second no outs, first and second no outs, bases loaded no outs. And the only run they played it in that game was on a double play. I can't remember who hit into it, but literally the only run they got across was when they hit in the double play. That was the situational hitting game that I may never – that's a random uh, regular season game at the end of April. I may never forget that one because it seemed impossible uh, to be that bad in terms of situational hitting. And that's really the game that I thought maybe this really is this team's identity. They just absolutely <laughs> piss away opportunity when it's right there for the taking. Elliot went – Six innings allowed, three runs on four hits, struck out eight, walked one. Pretty good. Like you said, that was kind of the birthplace of – he's always been confident, as you pointed out before, but the mentality change and kind of growing up and realizing, you know, that there's different twists and turns in a game and you got to be pretty mentally tough to pitch at this level. Not that he wasn't before, but like the Dunhurst quote, that, you know, I kind of noticed a mentality change with him. And so I, I'm with you. I don't take a ton away from it. I do say, though, now that you read that Van Horn quote, don't you think they start the lefty, Morris? I mean, don't you – that has to come down when you look at Ole Miss's numbers versus left-handers. I think – they got very fortunate that Auburn went and won in Corvallis, so they didn't have to face – how do you say it? Is it herpy or herjerpy? I would hope for his it's sake. It's jerpy. Jerpy, okay. It's I would jerpy. hope for his sake that that was the case. Um, <laughs> Silent J would be tough for our guy there. But, like, that's the kind – you were talking about no number twos. Really nothing, like, devastating in terms of number ones. I think Stanford's guy's pretty good, and Connor Nolan is pitching really well right now. But nothing that's just, like, how in the world are we going to scrape together four hits against this guy? That's kind of what Ole Miss would have faced had they faced – um, Oregon State and so they were fortunate in that sense and you know like you mentioned Arkansas still kind of just piecing it together sounds like they'll both pitch sounds like it'll be a bit of a bullpen day I assume they have Hagen Smith available he actually went seven innings against Ole Miss allowed two runs scattered seven hits 
Um, Did he really? In that first uh-huh. game, yeah. But it wasn't for – if you remember that game, it wasn't for a lack of just mowing Ole Miss down. It was just they literally couldn't get runs across. Um, and so I imagine it'll probably be Morris the way you outlined it just now. But, hell, I, I, I don't know. Uh, Dave Van Horn knows his baseball team way better than I do. Another piece of this, you mentioned not – McIntyre didn't see Ole Miss. That is one factor here is that okay, they at least get somebody good, who hasn't seen him. That's something to think about as well. Has Ole Miss seen Morris either? Yeah, I don't know. I was going to pull that up while you were talking. And I also had this here. It was funny because we've been doing the uh, the Nikhazy thing, you know, with Hunter Elliott, the 26, yeah. and the long hair and the freshman. Somebody asked him, they said, what do you remember about Elliott? And uh, he goes, he can spot it up with the best of them. He reminds me of a lefty they had there in the past that wears the same number. I think his name was Doug, if anybody remembers. And I guess somebody told him. He goes, yeah, yeah, Nikhazy. He reminds me of him a little bit. And I think he reminds them of him as well. He's a strike thrower. He's mature. He's strong for his age. He's been really good. So he couldn't remember Nikhazy, but he thought he was some left-hander named Doug. <laughs> it also wasn't that long ago. I get <laughs> that he keeps a lot of things on it. This wasn't 09. Like, this, this, is, this is 2019 to 2021. Morris went in the game three win, the rubber match, um, okay. and he pitched three uh, scoreless innings, walked two, scattered a hit. That was another one. You know, they brought in Tiger for the final three innings and Ole Miss really couldn't touch him at all. Struck out five. But Morris was the kid in the middle innings after they got Wiggins out of the game that they couldn't capitalize on. They put a little bit of pressure on him, drew a couple of walks, but couldn't get a run across. And so they have seen Morris. You mentioned they haven't seen McIntyre, but Morris is the left-hander. That'll be a fascinating decision that, hell, by the time a lot of people are listening to this, it may be out. I don't really know when they'll announce it. But you mentioned not front-running. And that Ole Miss eventually is going to have to play, presumably, some sort of one-run kind of stress taxful game. I think the thing that surprised me, if there's one thing that surprised me about this run for Ole Miss, it's their, I've talked about this before, but it's their ability to win that tough low-scoring game. I mean, look, they, they controlled that Arizona game, but they were down four to two in the sixth um, mm-hmm. before they took it over. And their ability to like beat a, a Palmquist and, you know, nothing's going right. You, you, you squander a huge opportunity there in the sixth inning when you don't get runs across but immediately respond in the seventh. And their ability to grind games out like that, it sure as hell helps when your bullpen is yet to allow a run in the postseason. That's always huge. But even just the – Hunter Waldrop was a really good arm. So was um, Tanner Hall. Tanner Hall. Yeah, so they've beaten three of those guys. I wouldn't consider – I thought Gonzalez's sinker last night was really good, but I wouldn't consider him one of them. He's a poor man's Tanner Hall because he doesn't have the change up. Yes, that's a fantastic way to put it. But the Ole Miss has, has, has shown that they can win games like that Whereas before, I'd bet against them every time. Uh, I, you know, I was a little bit surprised they got the Detmer the way they did, but they did, I know they didn't end up winning that game. But they've shown that for a month now. And I, I think they're kind of built for it. Because last night was – I didn't think they absolutely tattooed Gonzalez. He was really good. The way that sinker was going, it made it pretty tough to hit for right-handed partic- hitters in particular. At least it looked like from my vantage point – but it's the, it's the stuff like it's the two out hitting. Like the, the, when they scored the first two runs, which I thought scoring early against Auburn, you know, shocking analysis here, was a good thing, but particularly good against that team because they were something crazy like 32-2 and two when leading after seven. You wonder how Auburn's here, right? They rank six to ninth, six to tenth in pretty much every category. You look at their numbers and think they're a borderline tournament team. They have an elite coaching staff. They have a great closer and two, three, two, three pretty good arms to get it to them. Like, they kind of thrive in the same area Arkansas did. But Ole Miss's, like, tough approach at the plate, I think, has been a hell of a lot different. What did you think of yesterday? And, like, do you think that kind of translates well against the guy, no matter who Arkansas throws tomorrow? Because, like, they're generating something out of nothing, and that didn't happen when they were struggling, right? They got two quick outs in the second yesterday, and then all of a sudden it was 
or first, I guess it was. Then it was all of a sudden single, single, double, or single, double, single, whatever it was, and boom, all of a sudden he's down 2 nothing, thinking he was out of the inning. That's the kind of stuff they're doing that they weren't doing for two months that I think will play well in a game that you're talking about because I do think it happens tomorrow. Tim Oko and Kevin Graham both are hitting over 330 runners on base uh, sure. this season. They've, they've got it up there. And then I'll, I'll give the machine, Sus, the credit for the stat. Ole Miss in the middle of this run, the third time through the order when they are seeing the pitcher for the third time or they're getting into the bullpen, Ole Miss hitting 429 the third time through the order during this uh, this run at this point. So they're keeping pressure. They are, uh, they are, they're hitting the baseball. They're taking – they're not taking more pitches, but they're not swinging at stupid pitches the way they were earlier in the season. They're being more selective in a good way. They're kind of selectively aggressive, which is the way Ole Miss's offense is built when they're doing well. And then here's the thing that's been sneaky is we talk about the offense and they are scoring runs. They are getting two out hits. I mean, that first inning was pretty textbook yesterday after Gonzalez barreled him up. He just hit it in the middle of the middle of the field where the wind was blowing dead in at the time. You know, you've got two quick outs. It's easy to give up in the inning. Instead, single, double, and then Alderman gets that big two-strike single there to, to left. To, it, it took so much momentum away from Auburn at that point when it's 2-0. I mean, you, you could feel a stadium that was already – I mean, and I'm probably – I'm not being hyperbolic. He was 85% Ole Miss fans in, in Charles Schwab last night. That as well. Yeah, I mean, there were – the one Auburn little section was over here to the left, and Ole Miss was all bled through them. They deflated at that point. I mean, the most interesting thing Auburn did at the, after that was kept running into the walls and trying to injure their own players when they, would, when they would run into them, apparently. I mean, that game was kind of over there in the first inning. But – and I know Gonzalez had the air in the eighth. What Ole Miss is doing right now, too, is playing really good yeah. defense. They're not giving anything away. I, I, I did not know this, so I was told yesterday. You know the last time Peyton Chatagnier made an error? And we know that his range is not great. But, look, it's not bad. I mean, he is not a bad second baseman as far as range at all. Is it Kentucky? Is it that far back? It is February, Brian. Whoa. Peyton Chatagnier has not made an error since – February. For what he is, he plays a good second base. Like, he's – like, he kind of has – But similar... point being, Bench and Wood are both good at third. You know what I yes. mean? Like, the infield defense has gotten better. And, frankly, Hayden had a little bit of a low in the middle of the season. He's really good again. And the, the outfield is what it is. That's been a little bit better. I think switching to Harris. Leatherwood, every time a five balls hit out there, I mean, that guy – can make a can of corn into a diving catch better than anyone. Like, you talk about self-made web gyms where you don't have to actually move. He just looks like – Harris, for whatever reason, maybe it's a catcher. I don't know what it is. Looks a little more comfortable. Obviously, you know they're not going to be burners in the outfield. But the, some of the stuff and some of the mishaps and gaps, whether it's cutoff men and balls in the gap, that part of it has been better as well. They seem to be good enough in the outfield. Were you – I guess a little bit on that note, just curious. I meant to text you this yesterday – were you surprised that he went with McCants? Because I wasn't necessarily – I just was curious if he would stick with the Harris-Wood lineup. But I kind of, at the end of the day, figured if McCants is healthy, the upside is worth it despite the years that he's had. What did you think of the, him kind of going the in-between route there with not starting Wood? I asked Mike that today, and I'll give you the answer in a second. But I'll look this up. So, Chatagnier made errors in consecutive games on February 23rd. February 25th and February 27th, and he has not had an error since. He was kind of in the doghouse with Mike at that point as well. Like, he wasn't hitting, and he's making errors. Like, he, remember, he was, he, Mike seemed a little annoyed with him early in the year. I mean, that he, he benched him for a game, and it didn't really get better when he came back out either. No, dropping him in the lineups what did the trick. It took yeah. pressure off of him at the leadoff. It put Bench there, who does such a good job getting on base. It, it was a 
it was a managerial win for Ole Miss when they went when they made that switch. It really helped Dunhurst and Shotney to move around in the order and then get bench up there at the top. But I what Mike told me today was that it's situational, it's matchup for the most part. They wanted McCants who they thought had a little he they thought he created more defense overall better between him and center and putting bench at third versus Wood at third and bench and center. And then with Gonzalez, the way he throws that sinker, they wanted the left-handed bat. They thought that left-handers would see the sinker much better than a right-hander off Gonzalez yesterday. And I, I get that Gary Wood switch hits, but he's much better from the right side. They thought that by putting McCants in there, maybe he runs into a ball a little more and he did get an RBI single yesterday. He did produce offensively. They thought that that would help in that combination, but Mike did not uh, stay with that from tomorrow or really tip his hand. He said it is uh, it is scouting report and matchup base for the most part. And TJ himself said he's only 80% with a thumb, said that from a from an offensive standpoint, he still does struggle with the, with the thumb a little bit. How is he – I know he's had a tough year in a lot of different routes this year, but it, it, in terms of, like, morale, like, I don't know how often you guys talk to him. How has he seemed this year? You're around him every day. He seemed okay. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. He says all the right things, and I don't mean this as in he's lying because I, that, that's not my point. I mean, he's, he's saying exactly what he needs to say in the situation, but the body language makes you kind of question whether you fully believe it. Um, yeah. he, it, it, it feels a little. It, it feels a little robotic. He's he's had a very very tough year on the field, personally, all the way around. I think he's enjoying the run. I think, obviously, that was a huge moment to get the home run against Southern Miss and get a little bit of a little exhale for him there. He was really good last night, I thought, for the most part, in, in center field. He gets the RBI single. He's playing a little better. He's had to overcome the thumb injury. But there's probably a part of T.J. McCants that's ready to get a week off and ready to kind of take a breather. I, if there's a guy who enjoys the offseason, I wouldn't be surprised if it's really him more than anybody else. I think that I think it's been a really long year that's felt much longer. I'm bouncing around here, but I just had a couple of questions written down that, to, to run by you. Um, so I don't know if you noticed, I called you old on the internet last night, but I meant it as a compliment. Oh, good. Little, All good. Okay, cool. Just make it, I mean, you are, you are celebrating Father's Day. I'm not. So, I mean, mathematically, you are yeah. older. I have never felt older from the standpoint, Brian, of last night. <laughs> like, over the course of, like, five or six hours, I had media members walk up and go, so what was that that happened in like '06? And I'm like, oh shit! Like, okay, yeah, like I like I can answer the question, but I don't really want to. Like, it, it, I, I'm I'm kind of upset to be answering the question at this point because at one point Sus goes, okay, let's play a game. 2008 Arkansas. What happened? And I'm like, I'm really upset that I know the answer to this because like, well, okay, 2008, Ole Miss lost two out of three. They got swept in a doubleheader. It was on double decker weekend, and because of that, I thought I was clever and I used double decked as the headline of my story. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and he was like, oh, good God. I was like, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But, yes, no, it, I've, I woke up. I did not sleep well. Woke up a little grumpy. I'm kind of old man yelling at crowd, at cloud today. I'm telling you, I've never felt older than maybe 3.14 p.m. here on this Sunday. And I think it's because of the drive two days ago. A 12-hour drive will feel like it will take six months off your life for a minute. And I haven't quite bounced back all the way yet. Well, I'm about to test that and make you feel a little bit older because I'm about to do the exact same thing Sus did. You've covered this team and the program for a really long time. 17 seasons. Does anyone – like, wait, I don't even know how to ask that. What is what is Delusia's legacy, do you think? And I get it's hard to answer while it's still being written. And it's a guy that's probably – I think probably back next year. You know, you never know. But just to, even just in, through the framework of this season, like, does it remind you of anything? Like, they've had newcomers that have helped them. But, like, a guy like Christian Trent was always supposed to. That's exactly what he was supposed to be. I don't know what Delusia was supposed to be. 
but I, I was joking on, on Twitter last night and just being hyperbolic, but there's probably in five or six years, someone's going to look at his game log and be like, wait, what? Particularly if it includes total pitches. Does this, have you, does this remind you of anything? Have you ever seen anything like this? And what do you think he's remembered for? So my, I had a podcast bit a year or two ago talking about how I thought Christian Trent was the most important player in the program's history. And my point was, without Christian Trent, without picking up a transfer from Delgado Community College, Mike Bianco was going to probably get fired in 2014. And the Omaha trip that never, would have never happened, a, an Omaha trip that at that point had been the only one, and that if you're talking about strictly results, that's the most successful team. That's the only team in program history that ever finished third or better in, in a season, and that Trent was the reason for that. Now, look, I know I get plenty of guys for reasons for that, but he was the only one that came in that season other than Braxton Lee. Delusia is like a hyper version of that. I mean, you can make the case that he has the same argument because there is no shot in hell Mike Bianco is the coach today if Dylan Delusia is not on that roster. Because they, they weren't going to find the pitching. Seven, Yes, on a point. I mean, 7-14 and 14 wasn't going to get fixed without doing Delucia. You would have enjoyed today. Mike Bianco called himself stupid because he didn't pitch Hunter Elliott against South Carolina at all. Um, what about not, not starting Delucia against Alabama? He still hasn't conceded that one? <laughs> he did not mention that one. You feel like that would <laughs> – I feel like that would qualify. Yeah, because look, look, had they won one or two more games of those where they just didn't pitch their two best pitchers, we wouldn't have been even having those conversations at the end of the season. Like – They'd have been 15 and 15 or 16 and 14 and safely in the tournament. But no, look, Delusia, you can make the argument that teams that get to Omaha have a higher legacy than anyone else and the players involved with those teams do because of where they are. Now, look, do I think Dylan Delusia is a better pitcher than Drew Pomeranz or Doug McKenzie? I, I don't at this point. But dude is just, I mean, he's showing some testicles, pardon my French here. I mean, it is, it is pretty amazing what he is doing. The toughness he's showing, I don't know if he's coming back next season or, or not. And that, that will add to or at least in some ways it alters the legacy almost kind of in a negative way because you see more and it kind of becomes more expected. And we forget that it wasn't always expected. You know, it kind of happened with Christian a little bit there in 15. But, no, what Delusia's doing, he saved a season. He saved a coaching tenor, tenure. He saved a program from some level of reconstruction at the end of the season. And then he goes out and from a one-game standpoint throws, again, depending on how you want to look at it, the most impressive stat line game in Ole Miss program history considering the moment. Because, you know, up until this moment, Trent probably had that. He gives up one run against Texas Tech in an elimination game in 2014. But that wasn't game one. Regardless of what Ole Miss does on Monday night, Winning game one of the College World Series never puts you behind the eight ball. It puts you in a good position. It guarantees that you're going to finish at least fifth or sixth in the country when this thing is completely over. That first game is so critical. And to go in against a team that, while Auburn is not overly talented, they've been hitting the hell out of the baseball. They had a lot of confidence offensively. They went into Corvallis and took two out of three. That's not the easiest thing to do. They scored a boatload of runs in their regional. And they had no answer whatsoever for Delusia. You know, the legacy from last night is going to be he just kept going right at Sonny Deshera and winning. It wasn't throwing around him. Now, they were being smart. They were using a lot of sliders, and they weren't getting in on his wheelhouse. But they didn't walk him. They weren't scared of him. They weren't intimidated. They just went at him. I mean, Delusia, he's a heart and soul guy that I think his legacy is only going to grow. I think he is someone who at least gets – 
I hate the Rushmore question because it depends what we're defining as that. That's such a hard conversation. I mean, you know, look, is Dylan DeLucia going to be remembered by fans higher than Doug Nikhazy? I don't know. But I do think when we start talking about moments, and sports seasons, programs are about moments, last night's one of those moments. I mean, it is, from my 17 seasons, positive moments. What am I looking at? What do I remember? It's Dylan DeLucia last night and Drew Pomeranz on two days rest, striking out 16 in a complete game win against Western Kentucky in 2009. And that wasn't in the College World Series. That was a week before the College World Series. You know, there have been some, there have been some negatives. I can point out things that didn't go right. But things that go right, it's really hard to say that any moment in my 17 years is bigger than what he did last night, given the situation, given the circumstances, and him coming off the field. It was, it was pretty heady stuff. The Mount Rushmore thing is easier if you take Ma- the Magic Johnson approach. He was doing an NBA game the other day and added five people. So, he just added another one to Mount Rushmore. I think you have ten on Mount Rushmore if you want to. They're really hey, we just taking a second and going, hey, top five. Okay, Magic, cool. Give your top five. I Excited think that's his brand. It. Like, he tweets the most obvious thing possible, and then he had just a little quirk and sometimes a hiccup mixed in. But, you know, you mentioned all of that, and this is probably a good transition to the moment for tomorrow. I mean, I, I, I mean, seriously, I mean, am I crazy? I mean, in 10 years, no. doing Delusia's name at the college level, it's much more significant than Lance Lynn. Yes. I mean, and no one's ever going to forget last night. I mean, they're 1-0. They've, they've never been 1-0 in the College World Series, have they? I wasn't alive. 1956, before. they beat New Hampshire 3-2. to two. There we go. That withstanding, they've never re- that that notwithstanding, they've never really been in this moment. No, I'm with you. I mean, everyone is going to remember what he did last night. It was, it, I was with a couple of people that don't like, like particularly MC doesn't know anything about sports, doesn't really pay attention. But she's like, "Good lord, this looks easy." I'm like, "Yes, it is." And they're in the sixth inning, and this game is not even two hours yet. It, it it's unbelievable. And so, yes, I do think everyone will remember that. No one will ever forget that one. And as we transition this into tomorrow night or Monday night, whenever you're listening to this, a little bit. Whatever you made, you mentioned Pomerantz, you mentioned Christian Trent. Not far behind was Hunter Elliott's last week in a closeout game in a super regional. I mean, that was unbelievable in its own right. You've had kind of two in the top five, six moments, whatever, happen in back to back weeks. And so as they go into tomorrow night, everything else aside, matchup aside, no matter who Arkansas throws, don't you pick Ole Miss because of who's taking the mound for them? I mean, it's, it's, it's it's almost become as consistent and as automatic as Doug. And I say that, and he might blow up tomorrow. But it's 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 kind of remarkable that they're one win away from being in a driver's seat to play in the national title. And it's these two that are the reason. And it's these two of why it's felt so easy and so certain the whole time. If Ole Miss beats Arkansas tomorrow because Hunter Elliott throws a gym, and I get that that would set up Ole Miss to potentially have Elliott throw again in the national final if they could find a way to beat Arkansas or Auburn or Stanford or whomever in the in the bracket final but if Elliott spins a gym on Monday night it is inarguably I think I'm right here I'm going to stick by this it is inarguably the most impressive postseason by an Ole Miss pitcher in program history because I'm looking at it here and again it's so hard to rate because Nikhazy his team never lost a postseason game that he pitched they went four and oh he beat Clemson, he beat Florida State, he beat Arkansas, and he beat Arizona, and those two Super Regions were on the road. I mean, it was it was big-time shit. So he's in the conversation. In 2009, you know, Drew beats Monmouth, he beats Western Kentucky, and then he pitches well enough to beat Virginia. It's not his fault that Evan Button booted a ball and Ole Miss couldn't score in the ninth inning. He threw a hell of a game. Uh, so I understand those things. I get there's other examples too, but off the top of my head, that's kind of who I'm thinking of. Christian Trent. 
I guess would be the other option in here because he won his regional game. He won his super regional game, and then he 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 won in 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 Omaha as well. At least his team won. So maybe he's the example. But all in all, a freshman who was not pitching at the beginning of the season. Mike was asked this today too, and it's a really valid point because. Hunter Elliott wasn't expected to do this in February. We knew he was going to be good. We knew he was eventually going to be a weekend arm. But it's not like he started in week one and just started shoving it every single week. I mean, this is a midseason addition as a freshman. And the composure he's shown over multiple weeks in a couple different ways. So, assuming he wins tomorrow, that's beating Arkansas, a nemesis for Ole Miss in the College World Series to put Ole Miss 2-0. and The first time they've been 2-0 and in the College World Series since 1956. That would, be, that, that would be what that would be doing right there. Also, it's a super regional closeout game where you throw a shutout against an in-state rival in a packed house. And I get Southern Miss was not playing very well offensively, but still. And then the regional is why I really go here. I get that he walked five, and I get that other outings have been more dominant. because That's what everybody's going to be screaming at the computer right now or wherever they're listening to their phone, and I get it. It's, no, it's not more dominant than some of the things the Pomerantz did or Trent did or, or whatever, or McKaysey did. But – Finding ways out of those innings and matching Palmquist for that period of time on the road in a regional in a game you must win, from a straight just fortitude standpoint and hanging in there and getting shit done, it's as good as anything that I have seen. I mean, it's Elliot has got, got that type of legacy coming in in a day if he throws the same way if if, if he's the reason they win. Now, if he isn't, then never mind. Forget the last two minutes of the conversation because you got you got to add on to it. But he has that kind of opportunity in front of him. And it's also why if he and Delusia come back, that's why Ole Miss is going to be ranked like sixth in the preseason poll next year. Yeah, I didn't even really think about that. I mean, you really – you talk about that. You think next year's the rebuilding year or whatever. At least, you know, 10,000-foot view, you thought that kind of in the long-term lens. If you get both of them back, you're certainly working with something. When do you think – I know this team is confident, right? Like, so we talked about this with Colin last week. When they waited in 14, it felt like a celebration of finally getting over the mountain and getting there. And you talk about the team that's happy to be there. Ole Miss felt a little bit like that in 14, particularly once they lost that close game to Clemson – not Clemson, excuse me, Virginia. And they had to go through the loser's bracket. That team just never had the pitching depth to make it through a loser's bracket. That's – as you outlined earlier, that's why it's so important to win the first game because it's just like a regional. If you lose that opening game in a regional, you're – you're not, I guess, totally screwed, but you're 85% of the way there, and that you got to have some serious pitching depth to do it. And so I say all of that to to throw this by you. This team clearly went got there. I mean, Ben Van Cleve is tweeting, thanks, not done yet. Like, we're celebrating, but this is not close to the end. This team feels like it's like they have a larger goal at stake and they believe they can win the whole thing. At what point do you think it actually becomes real in their minds? There's a difference than getting to Omaha and believing it. I absolutely believe this team thinks they can win a national championship and is confident in doing it. But a win on Monday night, all of a sudden you're one win away from playing for it. And so do you, at what point do you, if they, however far this goes, at what point do you think it changes for them? At what point do you think it actually gets real? I, I don't know if it'll affect them. I doubt it. But there will be a mentality change and a mindset change at some point as deep, uh, d- the deeper this goes. Whenever they have a lead during the game tomorrow, when you see what's on the horizon is what's coming. If you're up 4-2 in the six, then you go, hey, 10 outs, and we get tomorrow off. And whoever that plays tomorrow has to win that game and then beat us twice in this place. I mean, no, that's when it becomes – I mean, look, I think it's real right now. Because like I said, yeah, I think Ole Miss in some ways is kind of going, God, we're kind of tired of hearing this last team in thing. We're just good. Yes, we played like crap for a month, and, yeah, we were bad. and. Maybe we did get lucky. Maybe John Cohen helped, all that kind of stuff. 
But at the end of the day, we're a good baseball team. I, I think there is an edge to them about that. But 1-0 keeps the dream alive. You know, 1-0 changes expectations. Because like you said, if you lose the first game in the College World Series, you're just trying to win enough to celebrate and have a good season and not be the first to go home. And you can't help it. I mean, maybe you do come to the loser's bracket and you get lucky. But for the most part, the expectations change. 1-0 kind of keeps the dream alive. It goes, okay, we're in good position. 2-0? Well, no, 2-0 now, all of a sudden, you're, you're the favorite to play for a national championship. And at that point, it's one weekend, two out of three, to, to play for a trophy. So there will be some moment tomorrow if Ole Miss gets ahead or is tied or it, it, whatever's going on that game where it does shift. It becomes very real, and you look up and you're going, hey, we just got to get the ball to Brandon Johnson. We got to do whatever we can do. We got to find a way to win this game because we can wake up tomorrow morning three wins from a national title. And not only that, but in a situation to where we would have to not win, you know, we'd have to lose two in a row essentially to not play for it. I mean, the, the, the implications of that, because look, we talked about this from the very first part of regionals. What is Ole Miss's path? You know, we, neither one of us picked them to get out of Miami, but what does it look like if they do? Well, it's to pitch and go 3-0 and and to win and do all these different things and preserve. That's the exact script they just keep following. And at some point when it's the script you keep following, you believe in it. You don't – it's not even a wonder. You're just expecting it to happen. I mean, Ole Miss continues to win baseball games by really doing nothing more than pitching Delusha and Elliott and, and Mallets and Johnson and occasionally Gaps. And that's it. They're not getting deep into their pen. They're not having to run through and hope that – this guy or this guy gets a bunch of outs. I mean, frankly, they got a couple guys that I think needs to throw a little more. But it's it, it's like a it's like a damn movie script right now, and they're and they're not deviating from that. So no, it's it, it's tomorrow at some point they're going to look up and go, we're one of the two teams that is expected to compete for a national title within the next week. How's Mike throughout all of this? So I watched the opening press conference. One, it was half an hour long. I mentioned this to you, I think, after the Super Regional. Me uh, not being in pressers anymore. I forget how many just terrific questions get thrown at Mike. Um, he got a talk about question, and then he couldn't hear it. And then he, the, the guy just said, again, talk about this. And he was like, okay, I will. And, like, didn't even face it where I was like, oh, I know a certain someone who, if they had asked it that way, probably wouldn't have gotten an answer. But that's neither here nor there. He – he he doesn't seem different to me, but him saying stuff like we've been through hell and back. Mike doesn't usually like to like talk about the grand picture when he's in the moment. He's usually very curmudgeonly about that. And he doesn't like, he hates hypotheticals. He hates questions about the weather and he hates questions about stuff that's still going on. Like you can ask him about what happened in the game, but you can't ask him about what, what this means for your season or stuff like that. But him, kind of actually reflecting back on this. And he always, you know, part of the 7-14 and 14 thing, they may be tired of it, but Mike talks about it a lot. He brings it up a lot. And it's because it's relevant. But, like, does he seem different to you in that sense to where in years past he doesn't seem like he likes to reflect back while he's still going on? And it seems like he's done a lot more of that this year. Look, Mike's not stupid. He didn't. He, he admits to understanding the dynamic, but he's not – my opinion, he could tell me I'm full of crap. I don't think he's being completely truthful and that I think he knew the score. And I think at some point it's, I can't change that. I'm just going to coach my guys. I'm going to show up every day and do what I can do. And at the end of it, I'm paid to coach. I'm paid whatever. This is what Ole Miss is paying me to do, and I'm going to do that, and they're going to decide what they're going to do at the end of it. And there is a lease on life that comes when you get the life raft. 
and you get into the tournament, he has been loose. He has been, frankly, kind of fun. He has been a different guy. I mean, he still can do whatever. I mean, he gave Suss a quote over the week that I kind of roll my eyes at. But he, he – I tell you what he's doing. He's being nice to bad questions, and he's giving great answers to good questions. He's really thinking things through. He's giving a lot more introspection into himself, into his program, into the past, into what's going on. I think he's just kind of enjoying it. I mean, that, that, that's what's interesting about him right now is I think in the past, all those failures and all those super regional losses, they just kind of weighed on him where he couldn't get them off his shoulders. I mean, it was just one thing after another. And even when he made it, it wasn't about going, oh, wow, let me go look at the sunshine. It was just, oh, I got that weight off my back for a minute. And I'm more relieved than I'm excited. I think he's in Omaha right now just kind of hanging out. I mean, you know, when, when, are, you, when, when, are, you, uh, when are you publishing this? Immediately after we finish. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll do him a favor and I won't ruin it. But I was talking to him. I wrote this in the message board. I was talking to him today and we got done with the interview and I said, hey, what are you, what are you doing tonight? You got dinner plans? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to this, uh, going to this restaurant. And he goes, if I can get in. He goes, we got a party of 10. He's got his dad with him. He's got his brother with him who's never been to Omaha before. He's got all of his kids with him except for Michael Jr. who's coaching in Atlanta this weekend. You know, Catherine's here. He's going to have two kids at Ole Miss with him this fall. He's just kind of enjoying life right now. He's enjoying his family. He's cherishing Father's Day with his dad. And he told me, he goes, yeah, we're going to this restaurant that he goes, Cammy and I went there together in 1989. We were at LSU and we went to Omaha for the first time. And he's like, she wanted to go. And he was really excited about it. And it was one of the few times where he really kind of, you know, because Mike doesn't do a lot of personal stuff. He doesn't let the guard down. And you could tell that it was just a really cool family moment where he's going to go to dinner tonight at a place that he went to 30 years ago when he was a student, when he had just met his future wife and celebrate in a location that's very important to him professionally and personally. And his baseball team is sitting 1-0 and in the winner's bracket with a day off when he does it. I think in some ways he's going to have that extra nice glass of wine. And I think, I think it's something he's been looking, to, looking forward to all day long. Because, look, the man's going to get a table. He knows somebody. He'll call Skip Bergman. He'll, he'll find a way into that damn restaurant tonight. And when he does that, I think he's just going to throw his feet up and go, you know what, I don't know how long I'm here. I don't know how many times I'm going to win this weekend or this week. But I'm going to damn enjoy it. And there is something to that that when you get over that hump and you get past that curve, it just becomes baseball and life and just enjoying the process a little bit. Mike hasn't enjoyed the process in a long time. I think he's enjoyed – you know, doing things the right way and the kids that have turned – the players that have turned into good humans and good players and all those things. But I don't know that the day-to-day hasn't, worked, you know, kind of weighed on him. And I don't think it's weighing on him right now. I think he's in pretty good shape from a personal standpoint. And I think he would have been in a pretty good shape personally even if they had, you know, basically had he lost the gig. I think he knew he was doing everything he knew how to do. And that's just – thing, you know, that's where this thing's at. I mean, so – yeah, I, like I said, he, you know, I went to, I went to walk off and he turned around and he goes, Hey, Chase, don't mention that restaurant. He goes, Not until I get a reservation, then you can blow it up wherever. But I don't want anybody taking my table. And he kind of laughed. And I mean, it's just that random thing that you wouldn't have seen from Mike last year. He would have already been freaking out about Arkansas tomorrow night. And instead, he's worried about who he can call in Omaha to get a freaking dinner reservation. That's a great story and a great point as well. As well. I mean, Ed, this is the same man who got asked his favorite baseball movie and goes, Why? When we were standing yeah, out didn't give an answer. I mean, like, yeah, just, <laughs> now it sounds like we found out his top five favorite baseball movies, the Mount Rushmore of baseball movies for Mike Bianco. But 
it's in, in what's been fascinating to me about it is I think you're right in the, the other part of this too, is that he knew there's nothing else he could do. Like he, he wasn't pushing the wrong buttons with this team when they sucked. They just kind of sucked. And so I think he was, I think that's part of why he's been calm throughout the entire thing, because you know, better than anyone, a lot of times when they're going through a lot of losing, he's, he can be difficult and he's miserable because it weighs on him. And I think he just was at peace with all of it from the get go because he seemed calm throughout the whole postseason run as well. And I just wonder if there's an element of this is the complete inverse to everything I've known since I've been at Ole Miss. We've overachieved in the regular season or achieved up to expectations on your times and then fallen flat in the postseason where this team did the exact opposite. And I just wonder if there's an element of like, this almost doesn't even make any sense, but I'm just going to enjoy the hell out of this. Like, I, I wonder if this team confuses him at all. They are nothing like any team that he has ever covered. They're the opposite. Yeah, in, in, in every way, frankly. I mean, it's what's funny. I mean, in a lot of ways, I think even he loved the he loves the players. Yeah, like all the coaches will tell you, they're all a bunch of nice guys that you all want to marry your daughter one day. They are terrific human beings. I think individually, he loved the guys, and I think he kind of disliked the team, if that makes sense. Like yeah. overall, kind of how they were put together. I think he went, "This is not how I like coaching." I want the dominant Friday starter and this. And this is not the way Mike sort of in his coaching DNA had it together. And look, he did bungle the pitching. I think he'd tell you that right now. I mean, he's made a lot of mistakes with that pitching staff over the course of the season. But no, there's there's no doubt about it because look, we, we mentioned this. He yelled at them one time. It was after SEMO when they got run rule 13 to 3. Why is that? Because you don't yell at bad teams. Or not bad teams, but you don't yell at teams who are trying and just not pulling it yeah. off. They kept coming to work every day. They were putting in the effort, and he went, well, what am I yelling at them for? They're showing up. They're doing all they can. They just weren't playing good enough baseball. Well, suddenly they're playing good enough baseball, and you go from not necessarily liking them as a whole to, frankly, loving them because they figured it out. They kept coming. I mean, they were 7-14. and 14. The Internet is talking about nothing but them, them sucking, about Mike being fired, and they didn't quit. And I know it's so cliche and it's so platitudinal if you're not careful, but that really says something in 2022 when it would be easy to just throw the oars back in the boat and quit rowing and just call it a season right there. Instead of going, no, we've got to get to 14 and 16. That's going to find a way to get in the tournament. We've got to go 7 and 2 in the SEC down the stretch. And if we do that, we get new life. I mean, Mike said it today. He, told, he said he told Dave Van Horn when they – when they met for the pre-tournament press conference or the meeting or whatever, Ole Miss has had, and I, I could be wrong on the exact number here, I think Ole Miss has had three home games since they left Fayetteville. Maybe four, it's six, A&M and Missouri. Yeah, A&M and They played at home six times since they played Fayetteville. So, in other words, they've been in a suitcase. They've been just climbing back up this mountain. So, when they finally get in the NCAA tournament, it's for the first time they played a game where they could just breathe. They didn't have to win the damn thing. They played so many games over such a period of time that they just had to win. They couldn't, they couldn't have a bad day. And then you get to Omaha, and it's a complete breath of fresh air because it doesn't matter whether you're what Ole Miss is or if you'd have been the number one national seed in 56-0. and 0. And there's another huge hit of oxygen that comes in when you do that. Ole Miss has been getting that. Ole Miss has just been getting oxygen piled in their lungs every single day for the last couple of weeks. And I think that's what showed yesterday against Auburn. I think it's what showed at practice today. And, look, they might lose tomorrow. Arkansas is a really good team. I mean, you know, of the D1 baseball guys, two people picked Arkansas to win the national championship, two people picked Ole Miss to win the national championship. They both are very capable of winning this entire thing. But 
either way, Ole Miss is going to show up. They're going to play well. Ole is going to take the ball. And if he doesn't pitch well, it's not going to be because he's intimidated or afraid or anything to do with anything Mike could have done. They're at a point where you just kind of throw your chips on the table and see what happens. After they won in uh, in Hattiesburg, there's someone. A listener sent me a photo of Mike was the last guy lingering on the field. It looked like he was like talking to someone on the phone. I don't know what it was, but he's the last guy out there. But he's like staring out towards the field, and I was like halfway jokingly, like like I wrote, I was halfway jokingly, like I wonder what he's thinking. But in a way, I wasn't. But like, I almost tried to make up my own thought process for Mike Banco. But I wonder if he was just staring at that pitcher's mound and thought, hmm, you know, two months ago. I abandoned the concept of starting pitching and now we're going to Omaha. And like that, the guy loves structure. He loves, like you said, having the dominant ace, the good middle of the lineup and going from there. And I, I, I don't know. I just wonder like when, sometimes when he lays his head down on the pillow at night, it's like, it's, this is, this has felt like four years. He certainly talks that way, but what a wild ride. This has uh, certainly been for him. Last thing. Do you think they win it tomorrow night? I mean, yeah. I- uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's a deal where I keep – I'm not predicting them to lose ever because I don't think they're good enough. It's it's more of – I think I'm still in shock by this run yeah. a little bit. I sit here and I watch it and I go, hold on a minute. These guys? These guys that we watched C-Law dominate and Simo beat the crap out of that day in Oxford or that couldn't beat Mississippi State or these different things, but – that's not the same team. Kevin Graham was out. Dylan Delucia and Hunter Elliott were not the one-two. I mean, I said, the criticism of Mike is it just took so long to get there. And even with Elliott, you bring, you're bringing a freshman along slowly. I kind of get it. Now, Delucia should have been pitching earlier. He just should have. That was, there, there's missteps there in a number of different ways. But this is a team that is the right DNA for what would potentially bring them here, even at the beginning of the season. So, no, look, I'm going to take the best picture tomorrow. Um, again, could they lose? Sure. I mean, I wouldn't put thousands of dollars on it. But Arkansas hasn't even decided who they're pitching. Ole Miss knows exactly who they're pitching tomorrow, and it's a guy who's been nails recently in Hunter Elliott. So, no, I, I think Ole Miss wins tomorrow. Now, look, that third win will be hard. they got to figure out who would throw that. they got to figure out what that looks like. I mean, it's not some golden ticket into the final. But if you told me to pick, I think Ole Miss does get to 2-0. Do so. That's that was one thing I missed. If you get to if they do win tomorrow, how do you handle the pitching? Do you figure out how to do it without Delusia, or do you bring Delusia back? Well, you definitely couldn't bring him back till Thursday. You would do it on Wednesday, Thursday, and even Thursday you would have a hard time. So you have to pitch one more game. Um, I don't think Derek Diamond would have pitched game three in Hattiesburg. I think they would have gone to somebody else. Um, it's a complete and utter guess, but I think your game three start again. Complete guess. I'm not reporting this. I think it would be Jack Washburn or John Gaddis. Based on matchups, like if a team like, – wouldn't you think it would be Washburn unless the team they're facing is sh- is really shitty against left-handed pitching? It just seems like like, like Washburn could do death by fly ball and actually thrive in that park. To whereas I would favor him unless there's a significant lefty-righty split, don't you think? Wouldn't that generally be the thought process? Uh, Yeah. Um, it, Are you a more he, bullish on Gaddis? I'm not bu- – no, I'm, I'm not necessarily bullish on Gaddis. I, I like Washburn as long as he doesn't walk a ton of guys. I'm, what, what i got to do, though, is I can't give up free passes. And that part, just play death by fly ball, let him hit it all over and hope that it falls in the park. It, it's all about command for me. And, and I have really quick hooks because when you just cannot tolerate hit by pitches and walks at this point at all. It, it can't happen. Father's Day in Omaha. 
Uh, what 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 does one do? I know I get I get you don't have your daughter around. Is that a Tabasco shirt? What kind of dad move are you pulling today? What what do you got going on? This shirt is pretty funky. It's a uh, it has got a it's got cocktails and golf carts. Okay. And maybe like palm trees and slices of pizza on it. Like I don't know. It's 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 something or other. It was in one of those like golf gift boxes. You know how they like send crap to you every month. Yeah. It was in like one of those things. I don't. I forget which one it was, but that's what it is. Now I know I'm gonna gonna go to the stake here in a little while. I'm basically gonna try to do the early bird uh, senior citizen discount because it's the only time we can get in because of Omaha being really really busy with reservations. So we're gonna do that. I am. Uh, I'm pretty interested in Oklahoma Notre Dame tonight. Gonna gonna watch yeah. the game. Uh, gonna watch the rest of the U.S. Open. It's here in front of me. Uh, Scotty Scheffler and Matt Fitzpatrick currently uh, duking it out there at the. Uh, at the top. So, no, it is a recovery day, two days after driving 12 hours. It is a really debilitating, demoralizing thing when you're driving to Lincoln, Nebraska to stay the night before, and you see a sign that says Omaha 52 miles, Lincoln 74 miles, and realize you're actually driving farther to get to Lincoln than had you just gone straight to Omaha. So, that, uh, that, 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 was, a tough, that was a tough move for your boy on, uh, on Friday. That is the worst. Like, I remember coming to FUD, like, when MC moved out here. I honestly, this sounds dumb as hell, but I thought Dallas and Fort Worth are basically the same thing. And then I'd get to Dallas, and then it's like, actually, I have 50 more minutes plus traffic. So, like, I've already gone six hours, and I'm out there. Well, I appreciate the time. Enjoy your steak. Uh, maybe, hopefully, get it out of there by 5, go to bed before the sun goes down, and uh, enjoy the week. And uh, I hope they keep winning. We'll do this again soon. Perfect. Appreciate it, bud. All right. That is our show. If you made it to the end, I appreciate us. Appreciate you making us a part of your day. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. Maybe you're in Omaha. Um, had a couple people sh uh, telling me where they're listening from. Always love that. Um, so if you want to run it by me, listen to Omaha, wherever you're listening, please uh, let us know. I appreciate you guys being, uh, being a part of the journey with us here on this podcast and uh, looking forward to uh, continuing it throughout the week. Y'all have a great start your week, and uh, we'll be back Monday night, so not going anywhere for too long. Y'all have a good one. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.